that song. How many of you have ever sought the Lord and He heard and He answered? And that's something special. You know that you prayed for something specifically. You sought the Lord and He heard your prayer. You know He heard your prayer. And folks, I want you to know that He is listening. And He hears when we pray to Him. And not only does He hear us, but He also prays for us. I want to talk a little bit about that tonight. Jesus is good. Can you say amen? amen. Jesus is able. And I'm so very thankful tonight. He never leaves nor forsakes us. He's always with us. He knows exactly what we stand in need of and gives us what we need when we ask. And I'm so thankful for that. Take your Bibles tonight. Turn to Hebrews chapter number 8. And we're going to begin a brand new chapter in the Word of God tonight. That's always exciting for me. Hope and pray it is for you as well. I've enjoyed our study thus far in the book of Hebrews. But um, tonight, I've just been fired up and ready to be able to share with you the truth that's on the pages of Scripture this evening in chapter number 8. All of it's been good, and I've enjoyed going through it with you, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. Man, there's something special about chapter number 8. I love chapter 8. Uh, it's special to me. Chapter 10 is another one. Uh, and we're, we're getting into some really good stuff that... Um, is beneficial for us all if we'll take it to heart. And so I'm thankful for the great privilege of standing before an open Bible and sharing with you truth uh, that will change your life. Amen. That's what I love about preaching the Word of God, folks. I get to tell you the truth every time I stand before you as long as I stick with the Word of God. Not many people can say that. Amen. Politicians can't say it, I don't think. I, I don't know many of them that's always told the truth every time they stand before someone. Um, newscasters, they usually don't, can't say it. They they give some things that are good, some things that are not so good. But um, as long as I stick with the Word of God, I get to share with you truth. Now, I'm not telling you that uh, it's it's uh, always what I say; it's what God says. Now, as long as I say what God is saying, and then praise God, you trust Him. If there ever comes a time when I'm not saying what God is saying, get you another pastor. Amen. But I'm just saying, as long as I can stick with God's Word, man, that's powerful. That's truth that changes lives. And Jesus said it's truth that sets us free. And that's what we're going to look at tonight, Hebrews chapter number 8. Um, years ago, when me and Brandy first got married, we bought uh, a little car called a Pontiac Sunfire. Do y'all remember those cars? They don't even make them anymore, but it was a nice little car, a little two-door car, sporty-looking little car, had a spoiler on the back, it was silver, had a sunroof. Uh, got really good gas mileage, and, uh, and it was very dependable. And when we got married, she still had two years left of schooling to finish her degree up at UNA. So she drove that car back and forth uh, every day. And the best thing about that car is it was paid for, you know. And, and she drove it uh, for all those two years, never gave us a minute's trouble. And um, then in 2003, Anna Kate came along. And when Anna Kate came along, um, we saw pretty quickly that a two-door car was no longer going to be what we needed. Man, sometimes it, it tickles me when I see younger parents walking around with all the stuff that they've got to haul around everywhere. I mean, you'll see them, it's like they're moving half the house with them. They've got the uh, diaper bag, they got snacks, sometimes they got a cooler, sometimes they got a stroller, and, and they've got all this stuff, and somewhere in the middle of all of that is a baby, right? And, and they're just dragging it all with them. And, and I remember those days. Um, and, and let me say, I know it's tough if you're younger parents. And it's, it gets difficult doing all the things that you got to do. 
but it is worth it. And I want to I encourage you to cherish those times. You'll miss them when they're gone. You really will. But that, that's what we were doing, man. We'd just be like we was moving everywhere. So when you've got a two-door car, and you've got to put that car seat in the back every time, that's just not good. So we decided it was time to go and start looking for something else. So I'll never forget, on Saturday morning, we went all the way over to Tupelo, Mississippi, to Carlock Nissan, the, the um, Nissan dealership right there beside the mall. And we were just kind of browsing that day, really wasn't planning on buying anything. And we walked up on this little car, little four-door sedan, and um, it was a pretty nice car, you know, had all the bells and whistles. I mean, it was really just what we would want if we were going to buy something. And so the salesman came out and asked us if we'd like to drive it. And he said, look, you take the car, you just go drive it, go do what y'all gonna do today, and you bring it back when you get done. So that's what we did. We went all over town. We did some shopping. We went and got something to eat. And then later on in the evening, we brought the car back. And, you know, me and Brandy talk about this a lot. We are living proof that opposites attract. We really are. In a lot of ways, we couldn't be more opposite. I mean, usually the things that she likes, I don't like. When it comes to music, the music she likes, I don't like. Um, and the music I like, she don't like. You know, we're just opposite in a, in a lot of ways. But when it, in some ways, we're really very much alike. It's weird. Because with me and her, if we like something, you don't have to wonder about it. You'll be able to tell it by the look on her face. You know, I, I, Randy tells me this all the time. You tell me a lot just by how your face looks. And she does for me, and maybe that's just because we've been around one another so long, but usually you don't have to wonder about what we're thinking. And so neither one of us are good for car shopping, right? They, they see it all over our face if, if we like something. And when that salesman, when we got back and that salesman looked at my wife's face we were driving that car, he knew right then and there he had a sale. I mean, she liked the car, she wanted the car, um, and he knew that she wanted the car, and so he then knew that we was probably going to buy the car. But uh, he was a good salesman, too. I mean, this guy was laying it out just like it needed to be to make us want this car even more, or at least make my wife want this car even more, because it was going to be her car, right? And he was telling us about all the stuff that it had. I mean, he was laying it out point by point, it, just why we needed the car and why this car was better than our old car. But now for me at the time, I had gotten used to the fact that we didn't have a payment. I'd gotten used to that, that old car. And so any thing that he brought up, my next point would be, well, it's paid for, you know. <laughs> that, that's what I was always saying. I'd got used to that. I, I was comfortable where I was with that car. And man, he kept on telling us all this stuff. It had leather seats, and it had the sunroof, and it had, I'm talking about all the bells and whistles. Listen, it even had a six disc CD changer in the dash. Now, that's, that was big time back then. It, it, it ain't now, and that, that, that's another thing that absolutely blows me away. You know, I can remember, I bet I had $5,000 of CDs. That, that in a big old Trapper Keeper book. You know what I'm talking about? A big old three-ring binder. And now, CDs are a thing of the past. That's like an eight-track. Now, I mean, it's just as good as an eight-track. There is no CD player. But then, that was a big thing. Six-bit CD changer in the dash. And so he was right, man. All that stuff began to really work on me. It started to add up. Had more room. 
extremely nice, a lot nicer than our other car, um, had all the things that we really wanted, and it met our need for our family at that time. And point by point, he was laying it out until I got to the place where I had to agree it'd be best if we bought that car. You know? And so we did. We left there with it that day. Drove it for a long time. It was a great car. You know? And it uh, really was a blessing to us. You say, Brother, what in the world does that got to do with Hebrews chapter 8? Well, really, it's got a lot to do with it if you think about it. Because what the writer of the book of Hebrews is doing by the power of the Holy Spirit is laying out his case for why Jesus is better. Amen? He's laying out his case right here in Hebrews chapter 8 as to why the new covenant, which came to us because of Christ and his finished work, is better than the old covenant that was under the law. He's laying out for us the case of why the new covenant that is under grace is much better than the old covenant that comes by works of the law. And point by point, it just starts adding up to we all have to agree, and they had to agree, that Jesus is better. Now, just by a show of hands tonight, how many of you understand that Jesus is better? Amen. Jesus is better. I don't know where you're at. I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know what you're trusting in. Uh, but I want to tell you this. Whatever it is, whoever it is, Jesus is better. He's better. He's real. He's holy. He's powerful. He's personal. And He will work on you, work in you, and work through you to accomplish His goodwill and purpose in your life. And that's an amazing thing. He will give you the gift of eternal life, which is abundant life. Jesus is better. He's better. And so this truth that he was teaching to them, preaching to them, is certainly relevant for me and for you tonight. We need to understand just how much better Jesus is. Let me tell you the good part. The good part is he won't even uh, cost you a payment on every month. Can you say it Listen, what we get with Christ is absolutely free. How do you know tonight the greatest gift that's ever been given is just that? It's a gift. It's absolutely free and will cost you nothing. It'll cost you nothing. Give you everything. Now, don't misunderstand me. Salvation is certainly not cheap, but it's always been free. It's not cheap, for it costs the perfect, holy, righteous Son of God and God the Son, His life on the cross. But it is free for all those who choose to receive it by faith. Isn't that good news? This is the good news of the gospel. Jesus is better. And that's what He's making the case for in Hebrews chapter 8. This better covenant. He told us in chapter 7 about Jesus being a better high priest. And he finishes up with that in the first two verses and also lays out for us why the covenant that Jesus ministers under is better. Now, before we get into it, though, let's define our terms just a little bit. What, is the, what does the word covenant mean to you? Anybody? Anybody got, anybody got an idea of what covenant means? An agreement. It's an agreement, or like he said, a promise. Now, listen to me. 
What the Bible is teaching when it's talking about the new covenant or the old covenant is an agreement based upon the promises of God. Now think about that. The agreement we have with God under the new covenant which came to us because of the finished work of Jesus is based upon His promise. Now why is that so amazing? Why is that so good? Well, I'll tell you. Because God can never and will never not honor His promise that He's made in His Word. Can you say amen? He's always going to be faithful. And the Bible tells us in the book of 1 Corinthians that all the promises of God are yea and amen in Christ Jesus. And what that means is, if we are now in Christ, if we are now, listen, have trusted in Christ by faith for the forgiveness of sin, we are in Him now. We are made alive in Jesus. We are born again into the family. We can claim and should claim all the promises of God. Because God's going to keep His Word. The covenant we have because of Christ is an agreement based upon the promises of God to which He's always faithful. Isn't that good news? See, the truth is, folks, I always want to let my yes be yes and my no be no, don't you? I want to be, we talked about this a little bit in our men's group Sunday evening, I want to be a man of integrity. If I tell you something, I'm going to do it. I'm going to try to do it. But the truth is, folks, on my best day, I'll fail you. Now, I don't want to fail you. I'm certainly not trying to fail you. But as a human being, imperfect in this flesh, weak because of this flesh, I'll fail you. The good news is, God will not fail you. The Bible says in the book of Isaiah that his faithfulness reaches to the heavens. If God has promised, you can believe what he has promised. This covenant, this agreement, is based upon his promises. Now let's look at why it's so much better. He gives us two main points in the first six verses that I want us to pay close attention to tonight. I'm just going to go through verse number six, but I want to dive into this quickly because we've got a long ways to go and a short time to get there. Now, I know that it's only six verses, but I'm telling you, these six verses are power-packed with truth that all of us need to get a hold of. In the first two verses, he lays out his case for the covenant being better because, listen to me now, this covenant is ministered by a better high priest, which is actually a continuation of what he's also already put over in chapter number 7. Look at this verse number 1. Now the things which we have spoken, this is the Son. So what's he talking about? What things he has spoken? Well, the things he spoke of in the previous chapter. The, the, the truth of Jesus being a better high priest when compared to the Old Testament. High priest. I mean, what he's saying is, I'm just going to give you all the main points. I'm just going to sum it up for you so you will see this is a better covenant because it's ministered by a better high priest. Now look how he puts it. First of all, he says, we have such an high priest. 
Now, everybody look at those three words, such and high priest. Everybody see that, the four words. What, what he's saying there, he, he's referring us back to a point that he made in Hebrews 7 and verse number 26. Now, what's the point in verse number 26 of Hebrews chapter 7? Look up there for just a moment and see what he says here. For such a high priest, there's the words again, became us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separated from sinners, and made higher than the heavens. If you believe it, say amen. And look at the first thing he says, though. He said, this high priest became us. He became us, which means he became like me, and he became like you. How many of you know that Jesus came to this world born as a baby in a manger to grow up like men so that he might do for men, for mankind, what mankind couldn't do for themselves? Now, to do that, he had to live like we live. He had to go through what we go through for him to really be a high priest who knows what's happening in our lives. And listen, because he knows what's happening in our lives, because he's been right where we are, he can help us along the way. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm thankful for that tonight. How many of you know, if you don't know what somebody's going through, then you, it's hard for you to help them. It's hard for you to help them. If I don't know what, if I hadn't been where you've been, if I hadn't walked in the shoes you're walking in, it's hard for me to know how to adequately help you. Now the good news is, Jesus became us. Jesus has experienced pain. Therefore, he can help those who are hurting. You said, brother, what do you mean Jesus has experienced pain? Well, we know he certainly experienced physical pain. I mean, if you go through the torture of the cross, you fit, you've experienced physical pain. I mean, if you've taken upon your back the cat of nine tails, you've experienced physical pain. If you've taken upon your head the crown of thorns and it's been pressed down into your skull, then you've experienced physical pain. If you went to the cross... And spots have been driven through your wrists and driven through your feet and a spear plunged into your side. Then you've experienced physical pain. Amen? Jesus has not only felt pain physically, but he certainly felt pain emotionally. Think about that. The Bible says he came to save his own, and his own received him not. Let me ask you something. Does it hurt you more when your family hurts you or when a stranger hurts you? Let me tell you something, folks. I love my family, every one of them. But family will tear your heart out. Let me tell you one. Because you expect family to be on your side. You expect family to show mercy. You expect family to support you, to love you, to listen to you, to help you. When that doesn't happen, it tears your heart out. But that's exactly what happened to Jesus. He came to his own. His own people, his own kinsmen, the Jewish nation, and his own 
received enough. Matter of fact, they put him on a cross. That is emotional pain. When he was going to the cross, the ones whom he loved most, who had spent most time with him, his inner circle, those 12 disciples that he had chosen, handpicked, forsook him, and he went to the cross alone. He knew what it was like to be left lonely, to experience deep emotional pain. He knew what it was like to experience shame, therefore he can help the shameful. I mean, if you're hung naked, I, I know those pictures that's, that, that hung up at, at grandma's house always showed Jesus with one little trickle of blood coming out of his side and a, and a nice little... Uh, a neat little uh, pair of underwear looking things that he was hung on the cross with. But if you go back and you look at historically how the Romans crucified, you were crucified naked for the purpose of shame. So Jesus beaten bloody with a cat of nine tails. Jesus beaten bloody stood upon and his beard plucked out. Most historians and Bible scholars believe he would have been beaten to the point where you wouldn't even have been able to recognize who he was. Jesus beaten bloody, hung naked on a cross between God and man. Spit upon, ridiculed. He knows what it's like to experience shame, therefore he can help the shameful. He knows what it's like, folks, to go through everything you and I have gone through. He knows what it's like to experience fear. Therefore, he can help the fearful. Amen? He said, how you know that? Go back and read what happened in the Garden of Gethsemane. Do you remember what he said? Father, if there be any other way, if this cup can pass from me and I can still fulfill your will, then let it pass from me. You may tell you what I think was happening there. The weight of the sin of the whole world was already being placed upon him in Gethsemane, the place of pressing. That's what Gethsemane means, olive press. It's the place where they pressed out the oil from the olives. He was already being crushed by the weight of sin. He was already looking forward and knowing what he was about to have to go through in the next day, on the next day. And he realized, listen, the fear that we sometimes realize. And folks, I want you to know, if he has been fearful, he knows how to help those who are fearful. He became us. Amen? That's my Jesus. And if you're here tonight and you have placed trust in Him, that's your Jesus. That means whatever you're going through, you can bring it to Him. And talk to Him about it. That is one thing I absolutely love about being a child of God. I can bring whatever I'm facing to Him. Why? Because He's been right where I am. How do you believe tonight that he was man? He is 
and was God. He was the God-man. That means, as a man, he had all the natural desires that I have. And he had all the natural desires that you have. Yet, look at the next part of this verse. Hebrews 7, 26. Watch this. Yet, he was holy. He was harmless. He was undefiled. Isn't that good? What that means is he was tempted with all the things that we were, were and are tempted with, yet he came through it holy, undefiled and sinless. That's my Jesus. That's your Jesus. If you know it. Why is that so important? Are you feeling, are you under the weight of temptation? Talk to him about it. He knows what you're going through. Therefore, he can help you. Now, I said he was tempted, but I said he was also holy and undefiled. He was tempted, yes, but he never sinned. For 33 and a half years upon this earth, having the same desires that you and I have, he never sinned. If there's anybody that can help you, it's the God man. Yeah. He's been where you are. He's a better high priest because he's been where you are and came through it holy, harmless, and undefiled. If you believe it's him in tonight. Look at the next part of Hebrews 8, verse 1. We have such an high priest, which he was referring back to Hebrews 7, 26. And he goes on and says, who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heavens. You see it? Now, why has Jesus been able to set down? Warren Wiersbe says it like this. I like how he puts it. He said, he's able to be seated because his work is completed. That is so good. He's right. I remember when I was a little boy, um, my dad always found us something to do. Always. And I always wondered, Dad, why do we have to cut wood in the summertime? We had a wood heater in our house. He didn't want to cut wood when it got cold. He wanted to cut wood when it was hot. And I asked him one day, I said, Dad, why are we cutting wood in the middle of July? We ain't going to need no firewood till at least October, maybe even later than that. Why are we cutting it now? He said, son, this way you get heat from it twice. <laughs> he was right. <laughs> if you've ever experienced an Alabama summertime, you know what he's talking about. If you've experienced the last two weeks, you know what he was talking about. But it was always something like that. We'd be cutting wood, man, or raking a yard, or mowing grass, washing a car. Very seldom did we get just to lay in the bed on a Saturday morning. We had to do something. Always. I'm thankful for that. It's good. I tried to do some of that with my kids. 
not near as much as I probably should have. You know, but, but I've tried to do that with them. Teach them what it means to put in an honest day's work. That's a good thing. That's not a bad thing. But I remember when I was a kid, man, if I was work, if dad was working, I was working too. And guess what? I didn't take a break till he took a break. And very seldom would he take a break until the work was finished. And when the work was finished, then we could all sit down. The same is true with the Lord Jesus. He seated because his work was completed. The plan of salvation, which was made possible because of the man of salvation, was finished by him. Now he is seated in the heavens. In the Old Testament, this is really what he's, the writer's comparing this to. In the Old Testament, the tabernacle had no seats. Because the priest's work was never finished. Amen. Time after time, year after year, they still made sacrifice for the sins of the people. You want me to tell you why? Because all those sacrifices and the blood that was shed in the Old Testament was simply a foreshadowing for the coming Savior. That's all it was. It was a type of Jesus that was pointing them to Him. Amen? That's it. And all those sacrifices and that shedding of blood, all that did that happened time after time, year after year, was cover up the sins of the people. But then, John 1, 29, I love this. John chapter 1 and verse number 29, watch what the Bible says here, brother, if you will. Put that on the screen for me. It says that the next day, John the Baptist sees Jesus coming unto him and he said this, Behold, or look, the Lamb of God, which what? Takes away the sin of the world. How do you understand? There's a difference in covering something up and taking it away. There's a big difference. The Bible says, if all you do is cover sin up, then there's a remembrance made of sins every year. We'll get into that as we get on through Hebrews. There's a difference in covering it up and taking it away. Let me tell you a story. I grew up with two brothers. And growing up with two brothers means that you have a regular wrestling match. All the time. All the time. And I remember especially on Saturday mornings, we didn't just have wrestling matches, we had wrestling matches. Because on Saturday mornings, Saturday morning, seven-star wrestling from, listen to me now, Memphis, Tennessee. Y'all know what I'm talking about? <laughs> the real wrestler came on on Saturday mornings. And we'd watch that. And Saturday mornings was the day that mom and dad used to go get groceries. They'd go and buy groceries over at uh, Save-A-Lot in Haleable. Y'all remember when Save-A-Lot was in Haleable? They'd go buy groceries at Save-A-Lot in Haleable because it was a little cheaper over there. Uh, if you're feeding three boys, you've got to go get some cheap food. Amen? But they would go over there and, and get uh, the uh, Save-A-Lot grocery and get food and leave us at home by ourselves. And as soon as they would pull out of the drive after, after having watched Seven Star Wrestling, we'd clear the living room. I, I'm talking about push all the furniture up against the wall. And we had Sloppy Joe furniture. Anybody remember Sloppy Joe furniture? Everybody had it back then. Now, if you don't know what Sloppy Joe furniture was, 
it was the old furniture with the four befores for the handles. The four before wood that was kind of shaved off on the edges a little bit. And, and those and it had cushions in it. And the cushions had pictures of brown. The ugliest stuff you've ever seen in your life. It was brown and, and some yellow in it, some tan, and it had pictures of wagon wheels on it and stuff. Wagon wheels and, and some old cabins and stuff. Bar, you know what I'm talking about. And, and we, that's what we had for furniture. And we'd slide all that up against the wall, and then we'd take all those cushions out and pile them up in the, uh, in the floor. Brother, if I remember correctly, there's times that you might have been in some of those. Those right. <laughs> no same cushions, you know? And so we'd pile them up right there in the floor, and that would be our wrestling ring. And I'm telling you, it got down and dirty, rough wrestling on a Saturday morning, especially when Mom and Daddy was there. And a lot of times it would be one of those things, um, I'll let you hit me back if you won't tell Mama when she gets when you get home. If you won't tell Daddy, I'll let you do this, I'll let you do that. A lot of that. So we'd all be in there wrestling the floor on a Saturday morning. I remember one Saturday morning we was in there doing this, and Mama had a crystal candy dish that she set up on the, uh, on the coffee table. And, and in the course of the wrestling match, one of us knocked that candy dish over, and it just shattered into a million pieces everywhere. And being, you know, goofy kids, what we did was take a broom and just sweep it up under the couch. <laughs> Covered it up. And we thought, man, we're good. You know, she'll never see that. <laughs> we put everything back like nothing had happened. Went on about our business, and she never noticed it until Tuesday. And I got off the bus and walked in the house. And she said, all three of us down, she said, where's my candy dish? And we all had to come clean and let her know. Let me tell you what would have been better. We shouldn't have covered it up. We should have took it away. That's what we should have done. If we would have took it away, there may have not been punishment for wrong action. But we didn't. We covered it up. Because it was covered up and not taken away, there was a remembrance of the sin that was committed. Are you getting what I'm saying? Now listen. Jesus is the Lamb of God that don't just cover sin, but takes away sin. Yeah. So when you place faith in Jesus, your sin is completely and totally washed clean, taken away. And now there's no more remembrance for your sin. God no longer sees you as a sinner, but as a son or daughter, being clothed in the righteousness of Christ because the blood has been applied to your heart and life by faith. Isn't that good news? He takes away our sin. Wow. I love it. His work is finished. Therefore, he is seated. But not only is he seated, listen, he is enthroned. The Bible says he's sitting at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. What does this mean? This means that now Jesus is seated in his rightful place of authority as King of kings 
and Lord of Lords. Let me give you two good verses, um, scripture verses, passages on this truth. I want you to see, uh, first of all, Ephesians chapter uh, number, excuse me, Psalm 110 and verse number one. Let's go there first. Psalm 110, verse number one. This is a prophecy concerning Christ. The Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies, what? The footstool. Jesus is sitting in the place of authority, enthroned in the heavens, waiting until the time that all the enemies of the gospel, all the enemies of the truth, all the darkness that battles against the light will one day come under His feet. Now the good news is, if you are in Christ, not only will they come under His feet, but they will be under your feet. I was talking to someone Sunday. Dear sister in Christ. And I said something to her that I will say to you. You may think that people who love evil do evil, commit bad things to people. You may think they get away with it. They may think they get away with it. But I'll promise you this. There's coming a time when they will answer to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and that will all take place when His enemies are put under his seat. That time's come. Now listen to me. If I were you, I'd make sure whose side I'm on. There's only two sides. Either you're a child of the king, born again into the family of God through faith in Christ, you're a saint or you ain't. When you boil it all down, when you get down to the, I guess, the least common denominator, that's what we are. Saints or we ain't. But I'm telling you, there's coming a day when all the enemies of God will be put under his feet. He's enthroned in the heaven. Do you believe it? He's seated at the right hand of God the Father. Do you believe it? Let me give you another good verse. Watch. Romans 8.34. If you will, please put that on the screen for me. This is a great promise for us. For you believe it. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again. Who is even at the right hand of God, Watch this now. This blows me away. This is what I was talking about when we Who also makes intercession for us. Do you see that? Should we pray to Jesus? Yes. Should we pray to the Father? Yes. Should we pray to the Holy Spirit? Yes. Yes. Does God hear us? Yes. Does the one God who reveals himself in three distinct personalities, does he have an ear turned to his people? Yes. Yes. 
And the good news is, not only does Jesus hear our prayer, but he also prays for us on our behalf to the Father. That's huge. You talk about going straight to the top. Listen to me, brothers and sisters. It is my honor and great privilege as your pastor to pray for you and to pray with you. Anytime you need me or want me to pray for you or to pray with you, I will be happy to do so. But please understand, as a believer, you have access at all times to come boldly to the throne of grace yourself. And you can take your needs straight to the top, to the one who not only hears you, but prays for you. If you believe it's in him. He is our high priest. And he's much better than the Old Testament high priest because he ministers underneath a better covenant or agreement based upon the promise of God. The covenant is better because it has a better high priest. But the covenant is also better because it's actually ministered in a better place. Hebrews 8, verse number 3. For every high priest is ordained to offer gifts and sacrifices. Wherefore, it is a necessity that this man have somewhat also to offer. Now, how many of you know, if Jesus offers sacrifices as our high priest and he's in heaven, then that must mean he's offering sacrifice in heaven for us. Now, it's much different than the Old Testament high priest. If you remember, they ministered daily offering sacrifices. But we're going to find as we study on through the book of Hebrews, Jesus one time entered into the Holy of Holies in the heavenlies and offered his blood for our sin once upon the once and for all. He didn't do that here. He did that there. In a much better place. Look at the fourth verse. He explains it even further. For if we, he were on earth, he should not be a priest, seeing that these are priests that offer gifts according to the law. Verse 5. Who serve under the example and shadow of heaven. He said these priests that were serving here in earth, they were doing so as a shadow of what actually goes on in heaven. That's all it was. Listen, the earthly tabernacle, the dimensions, and the practices that were given to Moses was actually an example of the heavenly tabernacle of which Jesus now ministers as high priest. Where Jesus actually ministers as high priest. He says, for an example and shadow of heavenly things, as Moses was admonished of God when he's about to make the tabernacle, for see, saith he, that thou make all things according to the pattern showed thee on the mount. So when Moses was up there on Mount Sinai, getting his direction from God, receiving the law, he was also receiving directions on how to build the tabernacle and how to serve in the tabernacle. And all of that was an example of the heavenly tabernacle that God already had. Tabernacle, which Jesus ministers 
in now as our high priest. It's a better covenant because it's got a better high, high priest. It's a better covenant because it's ministered in a much better place. Can you say amen? Jesus is better. Comments or questions?